Thank you for tuning in for episode three of season two. Today, we are making the shift from the first two episodes and us talking about how do we view the scriptures. Now, we're going to be talking about how do we do the scriptures, and we are defining that in two ways. We have to, first of all, eat it, and then second of all, obey it. I almost forgot. (laughs) So, Pastor Caleb, can you give us the overview before we dive into today's topics? Yeah. So all of us tend to twist the Bible to mean something it doesn't or tame the Bible to make its teachings more palatable for us. But both ways of handling scripture lead to our destruction and deformation. Instead, throughout the scriptures, one of the most common metaphors for engaging with God's word is eating it. So we eat the text when we meditate on it, study it, and submit ourselves to it. We chew on passages, mulling their truths over and over in our minds and rethinking how we're living our lives in light of what the Bible commands. And while this way of meditating on the Bible confronts and challenges us, it's also the way that we allow Scripture to form us into better followers of Jesus. Wonderful. So a key idea we had on Sunday we can dive into a little bit more is uh, typically we either twist the Scriptures for our control or we tame the Scriptures for our convenience. And I think we can do that at the same time. You know, verse 1, I'm going to twist that. Verse two, I'm taming it, you know, Um, can you, we had mentioned money, sex, and power as like three prime examples of how people twist or tame the scriptures. Mm -hmm. In your mind, Caleb, what are some other ways, uh, maybe even more subtle ways that it's pretty common for us? I'm putting you on the spot. You didn't prepare this ahead of time. Never prepared. But some comp, we never prepare. We just press record. It's wonderful. You know, some common ways that even just like a a well-meaning Christian maybe twists it or tames it. Yeah, well, uh, everybody reads through a specific tradition lens. So I think automatically to read scripture responsibly means that you have to be aware of that. And so maybe a subtle way would be like, ah, this is a dumb example. It's hard because I was reading Romans 9 this morning, uh, but I was trying to read it from the opposite like perspective. So like, what's your op? What are you? Well, the opposite of what I've heard. Okay. most often in my life. Which so are you is saying very, like a little bit more of like an Arminian point of view? I'm what? reading it as like N.T. Wright explains it. Okay. And so like for me, I've always, and I'm not saying this is twisting or taming necessarily, but like to detach myself from like, oh, this is what I've always heard this means and look at it objectively through the context and kind of reading it all at once reveals like maybe little portions that I've twisted or tamed. And so like if I'm, you know, I don't like that Paul talks about God being a potter, for example, and like we're the clay. Um, That has all sorts of implications for how I live my life. And so if I'm not cognizant of like my resistance to that, then I'm going to tame that to mean like, well, he's not actually talking about me. He's talking about something else. Um, Maybe another example would be, oh, we talked a lot about sexuality. That's a big one. Authority in general, uh, which you kind of talked about with power. Um, Anything through the American lens. So like when we read about success and prospering in the bible we can tend to twist that to mean success in our specific context and then i think the biggest way would maybe be just reading it so individualistically that we don't take account the fact that most of scripture is written to a group of people and so in the the old testament it's to the israelites and it's contextual there Uh, and then in the new testaments a lot a lot of it is written to the church and so like we have to find our place within the larger community and see the outflowing of like 
how we live in community and as it relates to scripture instead of just applying everything to ourselves. I think that's m- maybe the most common way we, we twist and tangle. Yeah, that's a good one. That is totally common. Like the you in Greek, really, we don't have an English phrase except the South does of y'all. Y'all. Most often when you see you in the New Testament, specifically like the letters, mm-hmm. uh, Paul is saying, y'all should take the do this, y'all do that. Mm-hmm. But we read it as some individual thing. Now, of course, there is individual application. Yeah. But it really does bring, it enriches its meaning when we, we see it's a community. I'm even thinking of, I'm rereading... Um what is it? Holy longing by Ronald Rollheiser. Oh, nice. And he has the four, he calls them like the four non-essentials of Christian maturity. And he says the first one is personal piety. The second one is social justice. And he, he spends a lot of time talking about how those are often seen as opposites. And usually if you're, um, he says that the people leading protests aren't leading prayer meetings and the people leading prayer meetings aren't Mm. protests. Wow. So one way that we twist and tame, I think is if you're really about individual personal salvation, you tend to neglect or tame everything that Jesus says about justice for the poor and oppressed and marginalized. Or if you're very sort of social justice, stereotypically maybe more left-leaning, you tend to, there's a generalization, but you tend to ignore the personal piety, personal holiness stuff. So that's another really common way I think right now we see a lot of twisting and taming. And to honor the legend who just passed away, Tim Keller, I think he was the Gandalf of our age of showing he very much, I'm reading his biography right now and really enjoying it. It's a very easy read. Mm -hmm. uh, And what made him really unique, and it's cool to see his upbringing and his influences. um, He very much was into both personal piety and, you know, bringing about the kingdom here on earth by caring for the poor and the marginalized. Mm -hmm. Um, Dude, it's really interesting. Tim Keller he had so many run-ins with really famous people at such an early age. So R.C. Sproul did his marriage counseling and the wedding, which mm-hmm. I thought was crazy. Like, that's – love you too. I have Trinity here, and <laughs> we're babysitting. I'm ba- I'm not babysitting. I'm a dad, but you get it. She's home yeah. when she's typically not. So, uh, so I thought that was really cool. And then I also just read this morning about – do you remember uh, Elizabeth Elliot? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Jim Jim Elliott's wife. Mm -hmm. So Tim and Kathy were taught by Elizabeth Elliott. Oh, man. And that was like a really big influence in their life. It's just like crazy. The amount of like these historical figures that were in their life is just pretty cool. Uh, And apparently Robin Williams would visit Redeemer pretty often. So here we are with that. Sorry for the side note. So, all right, let's get on track. Um, Yes, that is one. That's a major way. And And I see... It's one of the major um, divisions in the church is Mm -hmm. people focusing it on just is this personal salvation or no, it's outward deeds. Mm -hmm. And like the kingdom, I think, is the language we can use Mm -hmm. that really shows it's both and not either or. Mm -hmm. But we can really twist that. Now, this is not in order. It's just random things in my mind now. What are some of the best, one question we got, and I think it's really helpful. What are some of the best translations people can use? You know, like there's varying levels uh, of understanding that people have, Uh you know? So like, I even think my, uh, advice depends on their age, but also their reading level, Mm -hmm. you know, there's all sorts of different ways. Uh, I think there's a lot of good translations. There's just a few really bad ones. Would you agree to that? What in your mind, like, what are the top ones to, to go to? I, yeah, uh, some of it's largely contextual. Let me say, too, I think there's a big misconception when I talk to especially younger people, they're sort of handed this false idea that like 
every translation is kind of built on the other. So the more translations that you have, it's it's sort of this thing where it's like, well, why can't we read just the Bible? Why are these all these different translations? They think it's like a process of yeah. dilution, essentially. It's got to be inaccurate. It's being warped and changed every time. And that's not really the case. So every translation is going back to an original source or a manuscript. And we're finding more and more originals. Exactly. So it's getting better and better. Right? So we're able to kind of hone and, and use more precise language based on the our archaeology. We're discovering more vocabulary definitions of certain words and things like that and so every translation for the most part is pretty reliable i think there's that old adage the the best translation is one that you actually read mm -hmm. so on some level it's like just pick something and, and stick with it in my mind there's two translations for sure that i would say stay away from one of them is i'm guessing the passion yeah which I haven't read. I don't know much about it. So barely read, but I uh, voices that I trust have like done some deep dives, and they're like, "This is wildly inaccurate." Mm. And the person, it was one person that did it, which usually it's a team of people, mm -hmm. uh, right? I don't. I'm not too educated, so I'm not going to dive into that topic too much. But don't read the Passion translation, is what I would say. And then what's the other one that's called? It's the Jehovah's Witness one. Oh yeah, I don't know what it's New called. New World Order or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's like uh, it's something world. Mm -hmm. uh, don't do that one because they don't believe in the deity of Christ, so they're going to misinterpret a lot. I heard that. I think it was PETA. I heard this on the Holy Post podcast, but they were talking about how they released a vegan version of the Bible. Oh god! So like every so, don't read this one either. But every instance where an animal is discussed, they they replace it with like a being. Or something so they like humanize the animals and they instead of sacrifices they talk about they kind of they just they make stuff up they change it so, so don't that one either. <laughs> so i'm gonna try to come up with five yeah so let me think of my top five okay. and then you do yours let me be on straight up here's the three i've used the most mm -hmm. and then i'll add two okay the one i grew up with was niv which we jokingly call the nearly inaccurate version and i know there's some arguments there's a few verses that are like man maybe we just kind of missed it here I would say NIV, I'd be very happy to preach from it. I'd be very happy if somebody read from it, mm -hmm. right? So as a seventh grader, when the word of God really grabbed my attention and I began to chew the word, which remind me, that's what we're going to talk about next, what was in the NIV. So much so that as I have really reinvigorated my practice of scripture memorization, I actually memorize in the NIV because mm -hmm. it's just kind of, it flows easier. It helps my train of thought. So I think NIV is wonderful. The second one that I transitioned to is the ESV, like everybody did like 15 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So this was high school, but certainly college. Uh, the ESV, we joke, is the extra spiritual version or the elect standard, but it's just called the English standard version. And I think it's a pretty helpful translation. I forget what they call it. It's like a dynamic equivalence or something like that mm -hmm. where... Okay, go. Where it's either word for word or thought for thought, and it's kind of like a good combo of both. Uh, then uh, another translation that I have used uh, in the past I enjoyed is the NASB, the New American Standard. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are uh, trying, which I wouldn't recommend, but if you're trying to cheat in a Greek class and figure out what this Greek word means, just go to the NASB because it's so like word for word. Uh, so it's an easy way to know your Greek vocabulary. So NASB is a little clunky, I think, as a result. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it is is very straight up. Uh, so then, so I, how many have I mentioned? Three. Is, is that three? So it's uh, NIV, ESV, NASB. What we preach from now is the CSB, mm -hmm. which is the Christian Standard Bible. It's a uh, a new version of the HCSB. HCSB was a lot like NASB, kind of a lot more word for word, a little bit harder to understand. I find the CSB, 
Um, I think it was somebody who said they love the ESV for the Old Testament and they love the CSB for the new hmm. is either that or the complete opposite. I know it was one for the other in hmm. my mind because of the ESV, the way they translate some New Testament things like with Paul, I think they're saying CSB was better. Yeah. So that those are four that I've interacted with the most. The fifth one that I enjoy, but with trepidation uh, because I don't want to be misunderstood but I have found a lot of joy from, as a secondary source, uh, reading the message. Mm-hmm. So this is the Eugene Peterson paraphrase, and knowing the heartbeat behind the reason that he made that paraphrase, I think is helpful to understand. Uh, but I think it's wonderful sometimes, just when I'm kind of confused about a passage, I, I often think, what is Eugene Peterson's phrasing of this? And of mm-hmm. course, you you do more study alongside of it. But I think it does turn the light bulb on a lot of times. Like I think even the Beatitudes, it's really beautiful how he puts, because it's like, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be pure in heart? He has like a really great phrasing with modern day language to go, oh, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. The bonus one, because I haven't mentioned it yet, but I often reference this one as the one to read because it's super easy to read, uh, is the NLT, mm-hmm. New Living Translation. I don't know if I'd ever preach from it on a regular basis, right? Because I think when you start to get to, for the, to the word for word stuff, there's some sometimes it's, it, I find it lacking, like mm-hmm. when I'm trying to preach a text, but sometimes it's like the overall big idea. I think it's a great, like, I want to read all the Bible. Okay. Pick up an NLT and go through the whole thing. It helps you get the big picture. And then it, I think if you want to go down deeper into the weeds, you start to go to like a CSB or an ESV. Would you agree or disagree to any of that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think I, like you, I grew up with the NIV, um, which I find myself reading a lot more now. Like I'd be comfortable preaching from it or kind of using it day to day. I'm reading in my morning reading. I'm reading that and the message. Um, yeah, CSB is super, super, super close to the NIV. So there's almost no distinguishable difference. There's a little bit of a, an easier, I think the NIV is a little bit of an easier read, but I know they both came about for very similar reasons. And so um, yeah, the ESV, I kind of transitioned to in college a little bit. I think that there's the other thing is every translation is going to betray its tradition a little bit. And so the ESV, the joke is that it's kind of typically the reformed translation. Right. And I think there are definitely instances where you read that like because what happens when you, when you translate any text, especially with a dead language like um, uh, New Testament Greek or, or Hebrew in the Old Testament or the little bit of Aramaic that's in the Bible. You, there's no perfect English equivalent for every single phrase. So you have to kind of make your own interpretations and every tradition is going to kind of make their traditions or make their translations based on what their tradition is. And so I think the ESV has a couple things like that. The NLT, the NIV does that a little bit too. The CSB I think is a little more centered, which is why I think we use it um, on Sundays. Um, but yeah, the, and then the NASB. Yeah, is, like for those kind of confused, it's, it's also like, Things about election, God's sovereignty, some language they choose, but also things like gender roles. I was going to say, yeah, is another thing. That's a big one that the ESV would lean mm-hmm. one direction. Ver- I can't think of one that's the opposite, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the NASB I use. Well, I used to use it for seminary because um, that was as word for word as you could get. I think the thing too is like, and it's interesting. You mentioned the Passion translation was translated by one person. But so is the message. Sure. And so, like, I think the difference is that I was about to say one person who actually doesn't have credentials. Like, I guess people people think 
this is why I didn't want to dive into it too much. Yeah. People think he actually used other English translations and kind of came up with something rather than going to the original. Right. So to be fair to Eugene, he was he did his quiet time in Hebrew and Greek. Yeah. But also, I wouldn't nice put book. like full authority on the message. But totally, yeah. Find it helpful. Yeah, 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 yeah. I the message is great devotionally, and I think that even that, like, you kind of find I've learned a lot from Eugene Peterson and his pastoral work and his writings, other writings, and so I know I like that more. I like that more, but I yeah. know where he's coming from when he's translating a text. And I think with that in the back of my mind, it's helpful for me to then read the message, knowing who Eugene is as a person. I think that's almost the caveat I would give is if you're going to read the message, either read it alongside something else or be well-versed in like Eugene Peterson's other writings that you kind of know where he's coming from. And that's actually what happened to me. I became well-versed in his other stuff and went, Oh, okay. Now I, I understand him a little bit more. Um, But also like when I have quoted the message before in a Mm -hmm. message, but I just say Eugene Peterson paraphrased it this way. Yeah, that's a good right. One. So it's an it's it's I think it's the most honest way to look at it and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say CSB, NIV, ESV. Those are going to be your three. Best those are friends. good. That's a good trifecta. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah stamp of approval. ESV, CSB, NIV. Yeah. Pick one and run with it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's helpful to have a CSB Bible on hand to bring to church because that's the one that we read from Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of nice so whenever we give away a bible we try to give away a csb Mm -hmm. uh because you're not going to get lost at all uh we did on group last week we read you know psalm 119 together and everyone had the same translation except one person so when that one person read we were all like what's happening you know everybody kind of freaked out so all right now this next uh let's let's turn gears here talk about the word haga what does haga mean God. In Hebrew, uh, it's it's translated meditate. So Psalm one um, translated as you know, happy or blessed is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord, um, or he meditates on it day and night. It literally means to chew on, and so it's kind of a word picture of like a lion or or some kind of prey animal, literally just like gnawing on like a bone, like a piece of meat on a bone, but not just like for nourishment, like actually savoring it and enjoying it. So the the image is like of a lion you kind of see chewing on like yeah just a piece of meat on a bone um mulling it over uh digesting it kind of savoring it enjoying it and is like it's like a, a very like physical word um but it's used throughout scripture often as a way to describe our approach to how we should read scripture so in psalm 1 it uses that word the way that a lion kind of chews on its prey or it's 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 food is the way that we should kind of chew on and mull over scripture. Joshua 1 also mentions that. So I got that idea. I didn't know about Haggah too much uh, until Eugene Peterson. So he has a, good, a book called Eat This Book. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read Eat This Book? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really helpful. It's a pretty small read. I think it's like 195 pages. The last half is like a little bit more practical on, I think he gives his reasoning as to why he wrote the message. Yeah. But also, how do you do Lectio Divina, mm-hmm. which is a really practical way to engage in it. So um, I think that's one way, a good place to transition. So we're saying chew on the word, eat it, mull it over. Uh, Another translation, uh, another um, illustration we used on Sunday was eat like a cow, right? Cow has four stomachs. And so it often eats something, it regurgitates it back. It goes up and down the stomachs Mm -hmm. to really savor it or whatever the process is for them. And so for me, like the the two ways that I haga a text 
I love it. I got a text from somebody from church yesterday. Thank you for the message on Sunday. I hug God Colossians 1, 15 through 20 this morning. I'm like, that's amazing. What if like that becomes a thing, you know, where we all hug uh, the Bible. So it's this idea where you go through it slowly, you read it multiple times. So my ways is memorizing and then also Lectio Divina. So memorizing, you are literally saying it over and over because you're trying to get it into your, you know, into your, your brain mm-hmm. where it's second nature. And I have found that, man, if I do, I can memorize like almost anything in one day, but then if I don't go back to it again in like yeah. one month, it's gone. Right. right. So I think another element to it is hagaing something over days, weeks at a time. Yeah. That's what really makes it, you know, uh, and there's just been so many times in my life where I read a passage. Okay, cool. Thought I got something moved on. But if I go over it again, it's just like another layer, another layer, another layer. And the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit uses that. Um, But memorization, which I guess we could talk about a little bit. But the other thing is Lectio. Can you explain how does somebody do Lectio? Do you when you first learned about Lectio? I don't know when that was. Sure. Did you have like, is you know, this is too mystical. You know, there's a lot of fear that people have with Lectio. There's a few things that that made me go, oh, okay, this is okay. But when I first heard about it, I thought it was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah, I think just on a very real level, the reason some people get weird about it is because it's in Latin. And that kind of sounds weird. Like, Lectio Divina sounds like a Harry Potter spell, and that's not what it is. Remember what I used to call it? It was like Lectio Divinitatis Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Lectionary Divinitatis. I was like, those are two different words that don't mean anything. Uh, yeah, I think so. And the other thing too, is like, uh, haga, meditating, eating the scripture is, is the end goal. And so like Lectio and memorization is a means to that end instrument. It's an instrument. It's a tool because the, and, and I think this is the key thing to remember is like meditation described in the Bible is simply what, like where your mind goes, where your being goes. Like you're already meditating on something during the day. Mm. You're already taught you're in your mind. You're thinking through. And usually for us, it's the things we're worried about. It's the things that we're anxious about. It's our to-do lists. It's our kids. It's um, even big scale things, the things that we're stressed about. Where's my life going? What career am I going to choose? Who was the person I'm going to marry? Whatever. Like all these things are the things that you're giving your mind over to. And so the invitation of scripture is um, resist that. That's okay. That's all. Those are good things to think about. Ungodly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but instead, meditate. Make Make scripture your internal brain. Uh, the truth, the reality of God's word, make that so integral to who you are that that's just where your mind goes naturally. So you un- you can unintentionally meditate on the world, You're already whatever doing. it gives you, yeah. or you can, one day it becomes second nature, right. but you must intentionally yes. be formed by the scriptures by putting it in your calendar, yeah. having daily habits where you're eating it. And so one way that you do that is through Lectio. So I think when I when I first understood Lectio, I kind of had that already. I'd done a, actually one of my first sermons at Passion Creek was on Psalm 1. And, and then Tim Keller was hugely influential in that, me nice. kind of preparing that. And that's a point that he made was that you're like, meditation is simply kind of what you're thinking about. And so the Bible is like, think scripture. And he kind of went a different direction with it. But when I saw Lectio, I thought, oh, this is how you get scripture from like, I'm reading it on like a cursory surface level to like, this is getting ingrained in my being because it's repetition, right? Like one way is to say it's from the head to the heart. Another way to say it is from the left brain to the right brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like we are a left brain culture. And so everything we 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 approach the scriptures that way as if it's just like passing a test, but we don't see how it like 
infiltrates our, our very living. And even on like a neurological level, both memorization and lectio, rereading and rereading a passage over and over again in, a, in one sitting rewires like the neurons in your brain. So like you're, you can actually rewire your brain to think scripture. Um, oh, right. It's kind of like a, uh, like you're in a forest and there's no road. And so that first time is hard, but you go over and over mm -hmm. and then there becomes an easy. Path. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You so you, you saying that over and over, you're creating a path in your brain where you can just go to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's and good. so, so Lectio is the process of reading a text. You kind of read it one. I don't know if you want me to go through the process. No, yeah, yeah, I think okay. that would be really helpful. There's a lot of ways you can do it, but the, but, um, they're all kind of generally, they follow the same process. And so it's basically, the first step, which I always include whenever I write a guide on how to do Lectio or I tell people, I think the first step is always to sit in silence and stillness for a moment or two. And this isn't so that you can, I mean, people get weird about silence and solitude also, but the idea here is that, you know, you, you can't, uh, I think Ben Stewart used the illustration once you can't pour wine into like a shaky wine glass. So you, the idea is that you're going to be filled with scripture. And so you have to give yourself a moment just to release all the things that your mind is already wandering off. Oh, I've so. totally done that. Like within this last week, I remember I just woke up anxious. Yeah. But my first thing to do is to read the scriptures, but I didn't like sit in silence. I just got through it. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what I just read. Exactly. You know, that was terrible. So you give yourself step one, just a moment to quiet yourself, kind of let your thoughts come and go, bring them to God, invite the Holy spirit. I, th I believe the Holy spirit is an active process throughout this whole thing. And so, invite God to kind of quiet you, offer the things up. And then and after a minute or so of, of kind of quiet stillness in that prayer, then you read your passage. Wait, can I give one more illustration? Yeah. I think like an easy example, uh, let's say you're about to talk to somebody like your boss or like you're about to ask a gr your girlfriend out or, you know, get asked, propose. You will instinctively, okay, calm yourself, collect yourself exactly. before you engage. Right. So we know that that's a principle in all of life. We just forget that that's a helpful principle before we approach the scripture. Yeah, exactly. Even breathing, like breathing yeah. does something on a chemical level in your brain. You kind of quiet yourself. You oxygenate your brain and you allow yourself to think more clearly. So all that's really important. And then you read your selected portion. So I, I think you should have something selected beforehand. And you can do it on any passage of scripture. I think some passages are easier than others. I think the gospels with. tend to be easier for me to mm -hmm. start with, like kind of like a, a narrative. It could be general. a narrative. Yeah. yeah. Gospels, Psalms are good. Um, some of the New Testament stuff, Philippians 2, 1 through 11 is really good. Uh, Galatians 5 and 6. Um, but a, kind of a shorter piece, maybe a parable or a story of Jesus would be something to start on or Psalm 23. Read the passage uh, once, but read it slower than you normally would. Uh, make note of things that kind of stand out in your mind. So maybe a word or a phrase or an idea or a theme uh, kind of comes into your head that you, you kind of want to take a second and make note of. Uh, and then once you go through the passage, you start again. So step three is you read it again, but this time you pause at, at each of those words or phrases or ideas um, and you just kind of reflect on it. You literally chew on it. Like you think about like, what does this mean for me to live out today? Where am I hesitant to live this out? What do I, you know, what language that we've used before, like where does this confront, you know, like you talked about on Sunday, Eugene Peterson says scripture confronts our needs our wants and our feelings. Mm -hmm. So maybe you read something that you feel that resistance to. So pause and let yourself feel that. Um, and then once you go through it that second time, then you go through it again and you, you make it more responsatory. You kind of talk to God about your experience. You, if there's some sin you need to repent of, you offer that up, you confess it and talk about it with God. If there's something you need to do, or maybe it's joy. You read something that makes you feel joyful and delightful. Um, then you talk to God about that too. Uh, and then, 
after that, I think you, you typically kind of pray it back to God. So you, you don't read it anymore, but you kind of talk to God about your experience. You thank him for that. And then I always like to end with another moment of silence and just kind of listen for the spirit to speak to me. Is there something else that I should, is there something I needed to do, think, or be in light of what I just read? And I think you, sometimes you'll feel something. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring an idea or something to mind that you feel like, oh, I need to go and do this, or I need to feel this, or I need to believe this. And then other times nothing happens. It's just a, a moment of silence between you and God. And that's really good too. Uh, and, and that's that's a sort of general process of, of Lectio Divina. And I know a lot of people are are scared because they're afraid of getting it wrong. Right. And and like I think two encouragements with that as you engage in Lectio is one, you might get it wrong. Right. So like I think that's why it's helpful to remember. That's why we have together groups. That's why we have church. That's why we're pastors and our favorite conversations are with people engaging in the scriptures. Yeah. Right. This is what we do. And so if there is a hey, I don't know, like, yeah, reach out to us and we want to talk about that. Yes. And you know what? It's okay. We we all start somewhere, and you know we will gently say, you know, what? that's actually not the meaning of that text. Mm-hmm. But let's work through that. So you can be wrong. Okay, you know what? You're still right that you're engaging with the scriptures, mm-hmm. right? Like like you just said, the best translation is the one you read. Well, the best way to read it is to read it, right? So we're grateful that you even engaged with it, and the Holy Spirit will use it. But that's the second thing: is the Holy Spirit is with you, mm-hmm. so He will guide you. Uh, and I think we will learn his voice more and more as we abide in him. John talks about that a lot. Jesus says it, you know, John records it, how my sheep know my voice, you know, those who abide in him, we begin to get familiar with his promptings. Uh, but with that, I think that the idea of a meal, this eating is helpful in another analogy, because I think we look at the Bible and we're overwhelmed because there's so much we have to know. There's so much more we have to learn. It's almost like going into a store and seeing every item of food at the, and then thinking we need all of it. Yes. Eventually you'll need, you know, you will eat all of it over the course of a lifetime, Mm -hmm. but the Lord gives you one meal at a time Mm -hmm. and those meals sustain you. The, the meals that you just love and savor, they sustain you. And those other meals that you just forgot about, like I already don't remember what I had for breakfast, breakfast this morning. It's still serving me in ways that I'm not aware of. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there will be times when you engage in the scriptures, just like you engage in a meal. Hey, I did it. I was there. It gave me nutrients that maybe I don't even know about and I can go on. And, you know, so yeah. realizing it's it's a daily sustenance. It's something you have to constantly come back to and giving yourself grace. This is I don't have to eat the whole buffet. I have one plate. I'm going to engage with this and God's going to give me what I need or I'm going to you know, be formed by him in this moment slowly but surely there's going to be this process yeah and the goal isn't even to feel something necessarily right. i think that's, that's why i stopped and said formed i'm like i don't <laughs> yeah. know about feel but go ahead no that's good yeah it's because what you're doing and this is the language you've tried to use since we started this series is that you are meeting with god so you're having you're interacting with god with your full attention and your devotion and in your mind and your heart your whole being your physical body even and so the goal is not to feel something, I think feeling is a byproduct of your intimacy with God. And so that intimacy happens through these moments of morning after morning, quietly reading, chewing on a text, mulling it over in your head, just like you would a spouse when you have um, somebody that you really care about and you spend time with them. You're not after a feeling. You're just after being in their presence and enjoying that experience with them. And then the intimacy is a byproduct of that. Um, Yeah. And then the other thing, too, you know, people are afraid to get it wrong. Like, what if I'm getting something wrong? And it's almost like what they really want to do is study the Bible. So like they want to consult texts and they want to like use their mind more than just their, I guess, meditative mind. But like you, you can get something wrong with Bible study too. Like you can 
missed the point with the wrong commentary or text or anything like that. So. And we'll talk about that very much this Sunday. Yeah. It's about doers, not just hearers. So you exactly. can have you can have the correct interpretation, but it doesn't lead to the correct action. Yeah. It was literally pointless. Um, I think another thing that's helpful is that whole question, what does this mean for me? I think it can be helpful because you're personalizing the scriptures and mm-hmm. that could be helpful. But I even noticed this in our group last week when we looked at Psalm 119. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot about uh, the psalmist really finding joy that God's going to judge the wicked and the oppressors. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, so many of our group, and not to call them out, I won't call them out by name, but it's so natural. But they were like, yeah, and they were automatically, and I think there's a level to it where it's okay. They're saying, yeah, there's people who mock me. And, you know, like there's people, but I'm like, okay, yes, like, sure, that's wonderful. God's going to make those things right. You know, that weird kerfuffle you have with your family, like there's going to be restitution, whatever. But also we must read the scripture and go, there are actually poor among us. There are actually those in Ukraine, right? Who are getting brutally murdered, right? So I think we have to remember this isn't just for me. And so sometimes the call to action has nothing to do with me. It has to do with serving those around me who really is in a really bad situation, who is oppressed and marginalized. I think one, I think a better question to ask as opposed to what does this mean? How does this, what does this mean for me in this moment is, and I don't remember where I heard this, but where, what resonates with me and where do I feel resistance? So like what resonates with me in this text? Do I feel oppressed? Oh, great. Then I think that's a Holy spirit moment and God can use that. But where do I feel resistance? Where am I the oppressor? Where am I victimizing other people? That kind of thing. Or maybe what resonates with you is like the grand story of scripture that's being told is like, God, is a God who cares about justice. So again, reading Romans right now, like a lot of that is so big picture and like cosmic and Paul's kind of showing how God has orchestrated from the beginning of time, his plan to redeem all people, not just Jews and Gentiles, but everybody. Uh, And so like what resonates with me is like that cosmic story where I feel resistance is like, where am I not willing to like include other people into the family of God? So like even that, that process of asking that question is a form of like, Lectio, you're meditating on it, you're chewing on it, you're going one level deeper. It's like the the example you gave in Matthew 13 was really good. You kind of showed a surface level. Here's reading. a way to twist it. Here's a way to tame it. Yeah. And then taste it, taste it, taste it. Even right. deeper. Yeah, yeah. And I think every uh, an honest pastor does that every week, right? Yeah. Here's the text. Like I I know the passages we're using for this Sunday, but even this morning I had to go for a walk and just. I listened to it over and over mm-hmm. and I was thinking it through and I was like, Oh wait, I'm doing Lectio right now. Like yeah. that, but it is like, okay, what is, what's here that I'm missing? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the, and one in Matthew seven that, that I missed until I said it over and over again, towards the end of the passage, Jesus says, those who say to me, Lord, Lord. Yeah. But then, you know, and it's talking about the final judgment. He is, I didn't pick this up like over and over. Yeah. 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 Then you go, Oh wait, Jesus is telling the whole crowd. I am God in that moment. I'm the judge. Yeah. They're going to come to me at the end. You know, you don't think you immediately think of the person saying, Lord, Lord. And oh my gosh, he, he did. He prophesied in his name. How come? So you, you, you know, you say it over and over again, you get these new layers of meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a wonderful process. So we really hope that you do that. Um, we try to give, uh, so I don't know if you noticed, but the, the process, the, the image we showed at the end, it's also on our website for the eat it section under the together guide. I, mm-hmm. I put that image in there, um, but it's from very easy all the way to very hard. Mm-hmm. I actually got that chart idea from atomic habits talking about how to oh, nice. 
pick habits and practices to do, you say, okay, what would be easy for me to do for their, their example? Very easy is to put on your shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, easy is to go out and walk hard is to run whatever. Yeah. So we were thinking the, the way we eat this book, the Bible is to listen, to read and to memorize. So quickly, uh, what's very easy to, and listening is to come to church, right? You're going to engage with the scriptures by just listening to a message. So that's a great thing. And when I say it's very easy for some people, it's still hard, mm-hmm. right? But when you look at the grand scheme of things, you're able to show up, right? So that was the hard part about that. The, the easy and the hard is different for every person. So yeah. this is very general. Uh, the easy thing, especially when you look at the hard stuff after that is come to church and then take notes in a message. Like the data is out there about if you listen to something but not write it down, like you'll forget 90% of it. But mm-hmm. if you write it down, like you'll retain over half. It's like crazy data just by not even looking at it again. But if you wrote it down while you were listening, right? So that's one way to participate in listening. A moderate level of difficulty is to listen to the Bible on your morning commute. So we had already mentioned using like the Dwell app is a is a great thing. Or even just the Bible app, there's just a play button where it'll read it out for you. Mm-hmm. I like Dwell a little bit more because the music options and the voice options. Um, hard is to do Lectio Divina. So do that once a week where you pick a passage and just marinate on it. And that is your quiet time for the day. And then very hard. I, I was trying to think of what would be very hard. I think this one's kind of lame. So I'm interested if you could come up with a better one. I didn't consult you. Usually I consult you in these yeah, yeah. things. Very hard is to listen to the Bible every morning and every night. I think it's a lot of discipline to say, I'm going to saturate my mind. I'm going to constantly be hearing the word. Mm-hmm. I think it's very hard because we have so many other distractions, mm-hmm. so many other excuses um, to do. So those that's the listening. And we're hoping you pick one out of that chart and go, you know, I'm going to do this for a season or Mm -hmm. do this for a week and see what happens. Then you have reading. So a very easy thing to do is to bring your actual Bible to church. Uh, I'm more and more of a proponent of that, getting away from like the phone and actually bringing a Bible. Uh, An easy thing to do. uh, Have you done this before in your lifetime to read a proverb a day? Uh, So it always represents there's 31 chapters in a proverb. The most days in a month are 31. So if today is the 23rd, I'm going to read Proverbs 23. Mm Mm-hmm. Proverb a day keeps keeps the devil away, as some would say. So that's an e- that's an easy practice because Proverbs, none of the Proverbs are long. Mm-hmm. Psalm 119, that takes a minute. Yeah. Proverbs are always typically short. Uh, moderate level is, and I, and I think this is difficult, uh, but we gave out a New Testament bookmark. So to complete that bookmark, though, at your own pace. Mm-hmm. So we have it where if you read every checkbox, it would take 68 days. But we're saying, okay, it says Romans 1 to 4. Just put that bookmark between Romans 1 and 4 and get through as much of those four chapters as you can. If you stop at chapter 2, great. Put the bookmark there. Stop there. Come the next day. Go all the way to 4. Then check that off and now go to the next, right? Mm -hmm. So that actual plan is actually kind of adapted from my friend Jason Mayfield. He has a whole one-year Bible reading plan. I asked him if we can take his New Testament version. Uh, It's helpful because it jumps around Mm -hmm. a lot, and it really starts with a lot of the really engaging parts of Scripture of New Testament. So it really gets you in a rhythm. I'm like, this is fun, you know, and then it kind of gets to, to a little bit more difficult. The hard thing to do is to read the Bible in one year. Have you made that a practice in your life? I've done it before. Yeah. 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 I think it's helpful in certain seasons and maybe unhelpful in others. I have a mentor that says, uh, I think he said, you should read your Bible three times all the way through before you really have an opinion about anything. There's something about getting it all in your system. How do you feel about it? Yeah, that? it's so hard because I had, I had a friend read, I will never forget this, in high school, he read through the New Testament over a summer and he walked away so discouraged. He and I had a conversation. He was oh, like, wow. it's so hard to be a Christian. 
And I was like, did you forget Matthew 11 about know, the easy yoke? Like what you, you missed something. So I do think there's a, I think again, it's all your approach and the resources and reading in the community, but like you can read the Bible through all the way through and walk away with a completely like wrong. Yeah. So like just reading it, isn't the thing that gets you like, don't another think- reminder of the need for a church community. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Processing these things out loud together is huge. Yeah. Don't think that just doing a Bible in a year plan is going to make you like automatically a better Christian, whatever that means, or more mature or whatever. I think that's a great practice. Um, but like, and then the other thing, you know, and we've talked about this too, people get so bogged down because they get to Leviticus in February and it's like, they never get through it. Right. Um, but yeah, that's a good, I think it's a good way for people to, to start. Very hard. I did this in high school, my senior year, cause you don't do anything in school in your senior year. It should probably just be a three year program. Uh, I read the Bible in 90 days, mm-hmm. the P the B 90 X. It's when P90X came out and there was a B90X plan and I was like, I'm in. And uh, it was a beautiful practice to do. I actually think I did it in 45 because I was like that. I was like, let's do this. But it was cool to see the whole Bible quickly, like all together is really a fascinating practice. But that's very, very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, sorry, guys. Lastly, memorization. Uh, And so memorize. I I love when people tell me they can't memorize because all I subtly do within later that conversation, I turn on a song and they know every word. And it's Mm -hmm. like, interesting, you know, like and it's I can pick a million songs and they'll know it. Memorize John 316. I said that was very easy because that's like so well known. Mm -hmm. Uh, You probably have heard it before in the past. Easy is memorize Joshua 1 8, which we had preached about on Sunday wonderful passage if you want to add verse nine with that it's also wonderful moderate level is to memorize all of psalm one i actually have found memorizing chapters or chunks of scripture is actually easier for me yeah because it helps me see the train of thought there's a beginning middle and end kind of scenario going and i could really get into a trance of like oh i i i I know where this is going and it really brings more life to me Mm -hmm. versus just saying like all of sin and fall short of the glory of god romans 3 23 all of sin fall short of glory like the bigger passage is brings even more power. Mm-hmm. Uh, a harder practice, I think it's a little bit harder than Psalm 1, is memorize Galatians 5, 16 to 26, right? Works of the flesh versus works of the spirit, mm-hmm. from fruit of the spirit, excuse me. Very hard is memorize Matthew 5 through 7, which is the sermon on the mound. Mound. Yep, that's the new inside joke here. So Good. <laughs> so we hope you pick one practice from each from listening uh, reading and then also memorizing. Yeah, that's good. Do you think that was too much on our people? No, I, well, yeah, you, if we stress, like you pick, pick one. Um, yeah, no, I think it's good. I think people need to be challenged. I think that, and of course all this is invitational. So like, there's nothing saying like you have to do this to be, you know, but it, but I, I would just end with like, again, you're already meditating on something. And usually what you're meditating on is not bringing you life. It's bringing you anxiety and stress and ultimately death works of the flesh, that whole thing. So if you are finding yourself in like habitual sin, you can't kick. If you're anxious, if you're nervous, if you're, if you just feel like you're missing something, I think the next step of your faith, or maybe the first step even for you is to train your, you know, Paul says in Romans 12, like be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like that is a form of true worship is giving your whole self, your whole body to devotion to God. And that happens by meditating on the truest thing that there is, which is scripture. Um, and so finding ways to do that, um, will, it'll seem like you said, it'll seem like coffee bitter at first. Um, but, but it'll, it'll ultimately change your life. And I'll tell you like pastoring would be easier if we didn't challenge our people to do this. Right. And 
like I know that there is a bit of a, a fear of mine or, or like a, it stresses me out. Like, will anybody do that this week? Like, I really hope and pray that they do, but realizing, I don't know, you know, but like, it's our calling as pastors to really guide our people into life and life in abundance. And so much of that happens when we are no longer walking in the way of the wicked or standing in the seat of sinners, you're right, or, or sitting mm-hmm. uh, in the company of mockers. And so I love how Dallas Willard said the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly is just the way most people talk. Yeah. Right. It's not like the big bad ones, which is true too. It's just everyday language that, yeah. that keeps us from abiding in Christ, from living uh, from a place of grace and love and forgiveness, all of that other stuff like is the counsel of the ungodly. So we hope and pray. I love how you said that this is absolutely invitational. It's not our job to check on if you're doing it, but it is our job to paint such a vision that this is the way to the good life that you can't help, but take the spirit's invitation through his empowerment to take these steps Mm -hmm. and find that there really is life and life in abundance on the other side. So that is our hope. That's our desire. Uh, We appreciate you. We hope that you eat the word this week.